Hello, this is Brian McCormick welcoming you to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the resource for leaders, leadernetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Dr. Ramesh Richard. He is a spiritual philosopher, global mentor, inspirational speaker, author, and graduate school professor. He is married and the father of three children. The books he has authored include Soul Passion, Soul Mission, and Soul Vision. He has earned two doctoral degrees, a Ph.D. in philosophy from the University of Delhi and a Th.D. in systematic theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. He is the founder and president of Our Reach, Ramish Richard Evangelism and Church Health. Some highlights of our conversation on leadership include his description of the three metaphors he uses in his life, his advice to aspiring leaders, his explanation of the traits most important in a leader, his discussion of the components of effective training programs for leaders, and his offering of life and leadership lessons from his own experiences. And now, we begin this month's podcast with National Leader of the Month, Dr. Ramesh Richard. Is there a favorite quote that you have or one that really resonates with you? Yes, I do. This is from my mentor, uh, Fred Smith Sr., who passed away last uh, August, about a year ago. Yes, and Fred, I've actually featured Fred uh, about three, probably about three years ago. We featured Fred and his leadership. So I, I love to hear that name because what a what a great man. Yes, um, you know we had the privilege of being together for about fifteen years or so, and and I've slightly tweaked it, uh, but um, but the seed plot is his. It's just. Uh, God will not do for us what we must do, and he will not let us do what only he can do. Terrific. If you were asked to recommend books for aspiring leaders, would there be any particular books that would come to mind? I can uh, suggest a pool of books rather than a single book. Okay. uh, Most leadership books to me are anecdotal and actually can be used uh, against each other's position. So... I, I do not recommend leadership books, but it's good for people to be able to read both sides of a position. And uh, since time is at a premium, for people, I suggest that they actually subscribe to a, a, a digest of books or, or something called Executive Summaries, perhaps, which I read, which gives us about eight books every month. Okay. Uh, even, that has, even that has to be read discerningly. What they do is they take the bulk of the book, uh, remove all the illustrations, and, and give certain uh, principles that may apply. Uh, but again, uh, leadership books often can be placed against each other and, and cancel each other out. So we need something perhaps outside leadership books to give us insight into leadership, per se. Sure. Okay, well put. Could you talk a little bit about your personal passion right now and or your dream? I equate purpose uh, under three categories, passion, mission, and vision. Um, Passion answers the question of what have you set your heart upon. Uh, Mission answers the question of why do you do what you do every day. 
and vision answers the question, you know, how can you best be used in your life in this thousand-month allotment that you have called life? That is, if you live your thousand months, there's no guarantees there. Uh, my passion has to be relational, in my opinion. Mission has to be functional. Vision uh, is, is directional. It's a destination, but it's not a time-date goal that needs to be uh, stamped on your life. My passion at this moment has to be the one who deserves uh, everything I've got, and that cannot be located in any human being, uh, because that would be falling into idolatry. And that is what roughly people call God. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's the answer to the passion question. In the New Testament, Jesus claims that for himself. So the passion is the relational edge. Now, I think you can have many passions in life, but only one passion of life. So if a passion of life is taken care of, you can have many passions in life, uh, from work to family to uh, cars to technology. Uh, one passion of life needs to be the only one who is worthy of it without us falling into idolatry. Now, if you talk about mission, uh, why do I get up every day? What wakes me up is simply to make the person I love look great. And that could be God, it could be a human being. And the great thing with God is the more I love him rightly, I can love other things rightly. If I love him wrongly, I love you and the right things I need to write. I love rightly wrongly. Uh, and the vision, of course, is how can I be best used? Uh, my vision is to exponentially reach into large numbers of individuals around our world with with spiritually lasting solutions. There are many solutions being answered um, or provided these days, and I'd like to provide them some spiritually lasting solutions. And it's around the world, because the world happens to be uh, our current reality, all interconnected. And it's uh, large numbers of individuals, Brian, because I come from a people-rich country where you cannot avoid uh, large numbers of people. And uh, I have a burden for them. And to, uh, to reach into them, because um, um, all of life's decisions begin from the interior and, and overflow into the exterior rather than the other way around. And then I want to exponentially reach into them uh, through you know, major media efforts and leadership training and so on worldwide. Sure. Now, how long has that been a, a vision that you have been actively pursuing? Actually pursuing for the last 20 years in the sense of having an organization to help me to amplify the voice, but uh, it's been developing, probably uh, intensifying for about four decades. Okay. And I'm curious, uh, with pursuing that vision, what are what are some of the, the challenges that you've dealt with and or some of the things that have really helped propel you to be successful in your achievement of the vision? A good question, uh, Brian. I think uh, a self-understanding which uh, comes from uh, a divine calling and uh, an internal stirring as well as a gift cluster uh, coalesce into uh, keeping your compass towards uh, whatever uh, need you're particularly sensitive to. Uh, you know, every need is not an opportunity, and and every opportunity is not a mandate. So, though there are many, many needs around us, uh, uh, 
across uh, the street or across the oceans. We cannot try to do everything about most of it, but we can do something about some of it. I think the connection of your own preparation and calling to particular needs uh, really come from uh, uh, from what God places in your heart and sensitizes you, uh, uh, sometimes tenderizes you and crushes you so that you can be particularly aware of certain needs. So um, uh, it, it's a coalescence or a confluence of several factors which which make me or make any person sensitive to a particular orientation or particular action. And then, of course, there's the larger frame of the challenge of leadership per se. Uh, leadership is very difficult, especially if you're leading those who are volunteering rather than paying them for it or have to work with you and for you uh, at a much lesser uh, salary than, than street uh, salary. And so th- there has to be a compatible calling in their heart a willingness to join uh, one, join me in this case, uh, to support me in what I've been called and gifted to do. Uh, from my end, I uh, find that leadership carries about four components, uh, Brian. One is uh, an understanding that leadership uh, is, is not a position, it's a function. Uh, leadership is is not a rank, it's, it's a role. Uh, there's a lot of stuff written on servant leadership, as you're well aware, uh, well aware. And the way I normally say it is that servanthood is the position, leadership is the function. That is, if anybody asks me what I do, I say I serve as leader of REACH, or I serve as professor at Dallas Seminary. And I think uh, serve is the verb, <laughs> and leader is the noun. So that entire aspect of leadership has helped me much. The second aspect of leadership is uh, I must personify uh, the vision that I cannot expect others to follow me in what I don't personify myself. And, of course, uh, in my spiritual philosophy, the one whom I uh, have uh, decided to serve personified uh, what he said he came to do and uh, what he expected us to do. Uh, A third factor is that uh, all... All visions, and including organizations, uh, go through deaths and resurrections. They they uh, go through deaths and resuscitations, and and the leader continues uh, through all of this. Uh, sometimes with deep self doubt, having to throw himself uh, in the circumstance, on the God of the circumstance, and and endure and and persevere. Uh, a fourth side of leadership is is simply to mobilize people around a cause. Uh, and a cause is much bigger than a gift. And, of course, a gift is much bigger than a person. Uh, this last Sunday I was speaking to a, to a very large audience, and, and people came to uh, you know, say their nice things after the talk. And I uh, usually uh, attempt to deflect what I receive from people and say the, the gift is larger than the audience, and my calling is larger than the gifting, which is bigger than me. Um, the gift is larger than me, the calling is larger than the gift, which is bigger than me, and of course, um, the one who gave both of them to me is larger than all. Hmm. Any advice that you would give to people who aspire to lead? Other, You'd already kind of shared some thoughts on leadership. Any other advice that you would give to aspiring leaders? Uh, yes. Um, I would ask them to do a couple of things. I'd ask them to do a sketch 
of their past, uh, you know, I don't know, let's say they're 35 or 40 years of age or even 25. So look at the early years of life, maybe draw a little timeline from zero on to, to wherever they are presently. And I suggest that people do what is called a star scar sketch. The scar side is the bottom of the line. The star side is the top of the line. And the scar side has to do with all the uh, you know, low lights, the, the poor things, the bad things which have happened in their lives. Or they generated and you know, they made some decisions and consequences they still faced. The star side have to do with the highlights, the, the, the great moments of their life. And I usually ask them to look at the star side for what drives them, what motivates them, what fulfills them, what satisfies them. But the star side also can be a great source of temptations. For example, if, uh, if a guy is extremely uh, uh, focused on material things, he could have on the star side all the stuff that he's bought in his first house, his first cars, and so on. Sure. And it often happens that the uh, star side can be a source of, of uh, temptation uh, to, be, uh, to be addicted to those or to, uh, to fall into gross error and to fall into you know, the wrong approach to the wrong philosophy of life. On the scar side, um, I ask them to do the things that they uh, disliked, uh, they experienced the most. What, what did they uh, look back at and say, I wish we had never experienced it before? And I find in those places, Brian, uh, are what I'm calling indices to service. Uh, there is almost a discernible uh, straight line bet- between a person's major scars and the sensitivities to help others. And so I asked them to, to do this uh, scar star uh, map. And I, I would I recommend that very, very much. Secondly, uh, we throw around the word of uh, you know, mentoring and coaching and so on. Uh, I asked my son to meet 15 of my friends. Uh, he's 25, and uh, he set up, set up appointments and and went to meet each one for about an hour. And since these guys are older, they actually uh, you know, treated them to lunch or, or coffee or whatever. And I would ask upcoming aspiring leaders to place themselves um, in just uh, uh, informal conversation with those uh, that that they look up to and, and, and enjoy being an hour or so. Now, some of those relationships turn into a regular, consistent meeting. I would recommend that very highly too. Hmm. A, a third aspect of um, of uh, aspiring leaders, I would strongly suggest that they don't think about uh, becoming uh, significant. That instead they think about uh, being fruitful, useful, and profitable. And profitable not in the sense of uh, uh, monetary profit. Uh, those can be results, but just a general awareness is how can they best be used, uh, be fruitful and, and profitable to God. And amazing, in the middle of uh, the challenges of leadership, there will be an, an interior joy that, that that occupies them. What about a metaphor, story, or analogy for leadership? Anything come to mind? I have picked three metaphors, not um, uh, meta-narratives, but three metaphors for my own life, and I would suggest that people do that as well. Uh, Maybe that'll help, Brian. Uh, Wherever I go, I 
I took up a clock from over 80-some countries. The clocks themselves are not very expensive. The movements are about a couple of dollars a piece you can get at the, at the local handicraft store. But clocks, to me, uh, show me urgency. Uh, they reveal to me that time is always moving, that I need to be about uh, intentionally and deliberately uh, what God has called and gifted me to do. That gives me very little tolerance for things like wastage of time or even recreation. I can fall to the bad side of it unless it's replenishing me as a means in order to pursue the ends that I feel I must pursue. So my first metaphor of life is just, just clocks. The second metaphor of life I have uh, adopted uh, are, are globes, just Worlds, globes, little balls right now in front of me are a couple of globes from all across the world. From Kenya, I've got a keychain, which is a globe. I've got, uh, you know, uh, an inflatable ball, which is a globe, just, just from all over the world. Uh, for me, globes show the scope of my work because I, the sense that I have uh, been given the stewardship of the whole world as my, my, not only my neighborhood, but my parish, I collect globes. And uh, daily I'm reminded that uh, while the clock shows me urgency, the globe is my scope. The third metaphor I carry are fountain pens. Uh, uh, it's a fountain pen. I, I have my fountain pens from all over the world. I have right, right this morning, I was writing with a, with a fountain pen that a Chinese uh, friend gave to me. It's sitting right in front of me as I speak to you. Fountain pens tell me that... Uh, that the nib needs to be clean. The engine of a fountain pen is the nib, and if the nib is not clean, the nib begins to blotch on the paper. Uh, fountain pens also have to be uh, refilled. They deplete very easily, just like me. Uh, with the pace and the nature of my work, I deplete easily. I need to be filled and refilled for the tasks that uh, are at hand. Uh, the most important part of the fountain pen, of course, is... The pen is powerless unless the author picks it up, and and I am powerless unless the author picks it up. Uh, so I like to suggest that people find metaphors for their lives. You know, some people carry keys as metaphors or musical instruments as metaphors. Um, I have actually constructed my epitaph. Uh, it is etched in stone. It's sitting in my office. When I was in Ukraine, a pastor who was also a tomb maker uh, put it in, in a stone form for me. And uh, it simply says, a spokesman for the sovereign savior worldwide. A spokesman, uh, I'm just one of many spokesmen, is the sort of the uh, gift set that I, I have uh, for, the, for the sovereign savior because I represent one who's transcended and above the human situation, uh, dispensing eternal salvation to human beings. And, of course, it's worldwide, uh, which I've just uh, reflected on as being the scope of my work. Wow. Well, I, I really I like your three metaphors. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, I also like what you chose for your epitaph. Very, very well chosen. I, I wanted to actually bury it on my floor so I can, uh, you know, go walk across it every day to remind me of my frailty. But the, the rental place we are at, they, I don't think they were particularly for it. <laughs> um, any traits that you would identify as being really important for leaders to possess? 
have a, a, a conviction that people don't do what they believe. People do what they value. So I know that um, organizations and companies and businesses write out not only their vision and, and business and strategies and so on, they write out their values. But beneath the values or under, undergirding values, uh, Brian, are what I call virtues. Uh, because you, know, you can have values which are wrong. The question is, what, what protects you from the wrong values? And I think virtues are the ones which protect the values from being skewed which affect behavior. Um, so the virtues of a leader, have, uh, again, I draw them from the ultimate uh, resource. Uh, one is the set of Beatitudes, which the Lord Jesus gave in his public teaching. Uh, the Beatitudes stand for blessings when people who practice certain uh, behaviors built on certain virtues. For example, poor of spirit, that's uh, humility of spirit, or those who uh, mourn, uh, those who are hungering after righteousness, and, and those are some virtues I'd like to cultivate in my own life and, and in others. I would also like uh, an, the character traits found uh, in, in the, the latter part of the New Testament, which talks about love and joy and peace and self-control, uh, sometimes called the fruit of the Spirit, which um, are virtues which need to be translated into values which affect behavior. So I would recommend strongly that every leader pursues those. And you know what? As I read leadership literature uh, rather profusely, I'm finding them all coming to those uh, solid spiritual basics. The only problem with leadership literature and contemporary religious literature is that there's no power to implement what they know to be right. And that only comes from a right standing uh, with the one who gives them power. And uh, so I uh, attempt to present and point people to the Lord Jesus, the one who gives them life that can translate into power for all the virtues that they want to practice so that the values will be upheld and behavior will be uh, appropriate to the task at hand. Well said. What do you think organizations can do that encourages or conversely stifles leaders? Well, all of us know that there are leaders at every level, so your question is appropriate. Uh, what encourages or stifles leaders? What encourages leaders is the opportunity to fail. What stifles leadership is having to be afraid of failing. Gotcha. What about training programs that exist for leaders? Are, are there any that you're aware of or that you recommend for people aspiring to lead? Yes. Uh, there, there are many, many such all across the world. The Drucker Institute, as you know, actually has become very popular in China uh, these days, uh, even after he's gone. Um, almost every um, major university has its uh, centers of leadership. Uh, we ourselves have started something for the leading young pastors of the world, Brian. These are guys about 35 years of age. We still have about 30 years or so, uh, 40 years of life and uh, active work left. And we focus in, uh, on three areas of their leadership. And this is something I'd like to recommend to anybody who wants to uh, wants to aspire to leadership. One is what I'm calling um, uh, discernment, the ability to discern what is good, what is uh, better, what is wrong, what is right, what uh, 
can be measured and what cannot be measurable. Uh, too often people count things that should not be counted. So discernment. Okay. The second is what I'm calling spirituality. Uh, of course, not, it's not an empty, contentless spirituality. It has to be uh, based and grounded and, uh, on the one who can provide this grounding. And uh, even uh, those who are not of my conviction can still benefit from being spiritual uh, in their orientation to life because the spiritual side of life affects all of life. Life is not a neat pie chart which is divided into times and zones. It's more like segments and and uh, spirituality which affects all the segments would be would be promoted. So I pick any any uh, leadership institute, leadership center which uh, teaches discernment, spirituality. The third one is effective communication because all leaders leaders have to communicate one way or the other and uh, to practice good effective communication. Great. What about um, any times when your leadership was tested or challenged and, and you recall your response? Oh, yes, um, absolutely. Um, I've made my fair share of mistakes. Uh, there's this whole uh, issue of how much friends can be uh colleagues and how much colleagues can be friends. And it's better for colleagues to be friends than friends to become colleagues. So that's one big issue I've learned. I've also learned that uh, the leader is the one who interprets reality for the organization. Others have called it you know, defining reality, establishing order, establishing purpose, but uh, interpreting reality. There are many realities, but the leader must interpret reality and seek uh, for uh, uh, people to subscribe to that interpretation of reality. If they do not subscribe to the interpretation of reality, uh, there, there tends to be uh, uh, tension, there tends to be misunderstanding, and then, of course, finally, the breakdown of trust. Uh, now, in the interpretation of reality, we have the privilege of many line expansion uh, uh, possibilities which allow, allow the turbocharging of growth, uh, which allow you to pursue a deliberate strategy as well as opportunistic uh, tactics. The deliberate strategies keep you from the downside of being uh, uh, non-profitable. The opportunistic, uh, the opportunistic side of it allows for uh, new profit uh, uh, initiatives. I guess one follow-up question that occurs to me when you talk about the leader defining reality. Um, so if a leader comes into a situation where those around him or her don't really seem to buy into that definition, what what would you advise the leader to do? Find a different situation or try to um, get people you know, use tactics to get people to buy into that definition, or should the leader revise the definition? Any thoughts on that? Yes, I do, um, because we have to lose at all levels, community levels and, and even home levels, um, with your kids, for example. Um, I, I don't want to say a leader defines reality. I do want to say a leader interprets reality. The oh, word sure. interpret allows for a little bit of freedom, uh, within boundaries for those kinds of, uh, shall I say, discussions and discourses and engagements and even uh, disagreements. Uh, 
having said that, uh, in a new situation where uh, you know, leader uh, where the interpretation is already uh, somewhat set, and let's say it's a, it's a good, strong, old organization, um, I would spend a lot of time uh, developing relationships with the key stakeholders. Uh, in a political model of leadership, Brian, you know, a new president can come in and say, that was the former president's staff. Uh, we have, that was the former president's approach. That was the former president's style. We have a complete new administration. And we're all going to come into uh, step with, with what I've got to say. But uh, most leadership transitions are not presidential politics. It's, it's more uh, a pastoral transition where relationships are so critical. And if you're brought in to a new situation, establish relationships, go visit them uh, outside the office, at the water cooler, uh, you know, take them out to lunch, ask for uh, perhaps an, an expense account to accommodate uh, that kind of relationship building. Because a lot of these things done face-to-face allow for communication to go well. Uh, you know, keep away from email because we know that email does not have voice and tone uh, that people can read. And then uh, provide for a consensus uh, around what you sense the organization should be into. The organization will support you if they feel they have some ownership of your development of the vision and mission. If they don't think they have any ownership of even a project that you bring, you know, they'll do it because you pay them, but uh, but their hearts are not in it. And at that point, you're not a leader, you're just a boss. Sure. Any piece of advice you've been given that you'd like to share? Yes, I believe I need to have a very clear understanding of what my role is in, in an organization. Not just what the expectations are, but what my role is. Because role has to do with not only just expectations, but authority. And I can only have responsibilities to the degree that I have authority. So if my role is defined, I want to see uh, that, I, that I can execute what has been given to me along with proper authority. Second, I need to be somewhat sure of who I am more than what I do. Who I am is far more critical, critical to leadership than, than what I do, which means uh, issues of integrity, of, of character, uh, which form the very heart of, of all leadership stances. Uh, another uh, aspect of my own growth has been uh, to be able to discern between what may be called conflicted interests and disclose everything. Uh, this requires a degree of transparency and vulnerability, especially to those who are peers or uh, those under you, subordinates, but it's, it's better to disclose rather than having uh, them to guess at, at uh, why you did what you did and the, the decisions you're making, the reasons, the basis, and the premises, and the presuppositions for your decisions. So I would say, you know, disclose everything, uh, be open and vulnerable. And, of course, I have a uh, uh, the, 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 the head of the universe behind me, so I don't have to be afraid for my head uh, rolling the dust because I believe God defends the honest heart and I can be completely open and, and vulnerable and transparent with people. Sure. 
What about anything that we have not covered today that you think would be worthwhile for us to put in a, a feature about you and leadership? The ones you love the most are most capable of, of uh, either encouraging you or discouraging you. I'm speaking specifically in relation to your spouse, to your kids, to your parents. And I would encourage leaders to keep those uh, relational uh, uh, embers warm and growing um, because many of us, all of us know of leaders who have just shined outside the public eye and have been complete failures uh, in things that outlast their their leadership of, of a business or an organization. Hmm. Uh, I I would recommend the relational component to, uh, to leadership um, as being fostered and facilitated intentionally. I would also uh, ask, again, leaders to keep some of the uh, tensions that are in an organization against, let's say, people versus tasks, uh, growth, versus expense and uh, th- those kinds of issues to, to keep those uh, polarities uh, in tension because that's the way by which we grow, humanly speaking, and not to buck them, uh, to study them, and that's where your discernment comes into being. Uh, what can I count? What should I not count? What should I measure? What should I not measure? Uh, not to exchange uh, uh, the long-term for short-term view of, of, of things. One of the markers of maturity or immaturity is the need to looking at everything short-term, you know, quarterly reports, which others demand of us, rather than long-term um, uh, ways of looking at, at life. So keep the deliberate strategies long-term, short-term, be opportunistic, opportunistic, but don't ever exchange the long-term for the short-term. Hmm. Terrific. Thank you so much for sharing of your wisdom. It's been a real pleasure and a joy to visit with you today. Are you are you going to be in the states now for a while? Or are you off right away again? Um, uh, I, I I go to Knoxville, Tennessee for a night on, on uh, Friday, but I'm going to to Belgium next month. Yeah, Belgium is a world uh, class country, as you possibly know, Brussels. And we are bringing African community leaders in Europe together. As you know, Europe is being, what should I say, overrun by their own immigrants, uh, immigration, immigrant challenges. And uh, and uh, many Europeans are afraid that, uh, that their Europe, as presently known, will be significantly changed in the next uh, two decades. In order to address that, we want to uh, help African community leaders who share the same values as we do to help reach out to the community so that uh, Africans can be changed, even while they're living Wow! Uh, in Europe. And then, uh, God willing, uh, I have been invited to address the 23rd uh, General Assembly of the United Nations uh, in September, and I trust that God will uh, condescend to use me there at their annual uh, prayer breakfast. Oh, wow. Well, well... Best wishes with that. That will be a wonderful opportunity. Uh, Thank you. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Richard, and and best wishes with all your pursuits. Thank you very much, Brian. Blessings. That concludes the podcast with National Leader of the Month, 
Dr. Ramesh Richard. Come back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from LeaderNetwork.org.